Christmas is ruined. <laughs> no, I mean, just over a week ago, I came home. And as I opened the door from the garage into the, the kitchen, I'm, I'm used to being met by my girls. You see, if I don't know you, what you may need to know about me is that I have six children, five daughters. And yes, I am clinically insane, but I love God for each one of them. When I come home, I'm often met by my two-year-old Brianna, my five-year-old MJ, and, and then the eight-year-old and the 11-year-old and the 14-year-old. They try to find nooks and crannies in the house to hide, all with the intent of scaring me as I come through the house. They have yet to succeed. But I walk in the house and MJ, and if you know my daughter MJ, Madison Joy, she is picture of uh, like, like, like theatrics. She is full of life and has this bright personality and I'm used to her running and holding onto my leg and screaming daddy, daddy. But just last week when I opened the door, I saw MJ come around the refrigerator door in our kitchen running down the hallway screaming with literal tears in her eyes, big alligator tears. Christmas is ruined, daddy. Christmas is ruined, Complete shock flooded my being, and I knelt down and I said, MJ, honey, what do you mean Christmas is ruined? What's the matter? And she began to use her body to tell me this story, this elaborate story. Well, you see, Daddy, Ryan was in the, the living room, and Brienne kept taking Christmas ornaments, and she was playing with them, and she was hiding them, and Ryan wanted to hide them from her, and so she took the ornaments, and she kept putting them up on the Christmas tree higher and higher and higher. The week before, we went to Santa's farm, and we picked out the biggest tree they had. That was my only prerequisite. Give me the biggest you got. This thing was almost 10 feet tall. A big fir tree at the bottom, just full. We brought it in the house, still in its netting, and I took my buck knife like I was hunting and just ripped right up, and it was like Christmas vacation. <laughs> and there it sat, beautiful, full, brilliant. So Ryan, my eight-year-old, is being responsible, and she's trying to protect her two-year-old sister from breaking these glass ornate ornaments, and so she takes it upon herself not to tell her mom, but to manage the situation the best she knows how. And in her eight-year-old rationale, she takes these ornaments from Brienne and says, no, Brienne, give them to me. And she begins to hang them and realizes that Brienne can still get the low-hanging ornaments, and so she hangs them even higher. And the higher she gets, she has to bend over the full Christmas tree. My wife Stacy is about 30 feet away in her office doing some work. She hears before she sees. The next thing she knows as she sits there in great anticipation is my eight-year-old daughter Ryan comes to her office and stands there, not a word. <laughs> Stacy turns around and says, Ryan, did the Christmas tree just fall over on you? And Ryan says, yes, and screams and runs out of her office, down the stairs, into her room, slamming the door in complete horror. Stacy walks out into the living room, our white carpet, brilliant with five kids still at home. And in the corner of our home is this 10-foot Christmas tree on the side. Ornaments that are broken and that are everywhere. 
Did I mention that my 100-pound, one-year-old lab baxter thinks this is a game? <laughs> As he's chasing these ornaments throughout the living room. My two-year-old Brienne is standing there, doesn't know how to respond. And MJ is in hysterics. There's water, green, sappy, piney water all over our carpet. Lights are strewn about, all the ornate gold ribbon that my wife had wrapped the tree with has been stripped off and pulled apart. And she stood there, and my wife jokingly said, well, now Christmas is ruined. (laughs) My five-year-old, who had nothing to do with this other than uh, an active observer, hears Stacy say, Christmas is ruined and it makes complete sense because Stacy is standing on damp carpet, the kind where you step and it goes whoosh, whoosh. And she begins to try to sweep together the broken ornaments. And she begins to, she leans the Christmas tree up into the corner the best she can until I get home to fix the situation. When I get home, I find that she had used the carpet cleaner to soak up all the water and to clean it and put a heater right over the spot where it was wet right next to the Christmas tree that is now bone dry. As MJ comes around the corner and screams, Daddy, Christmas is ruined! And she's got these tears and she's telling me this story. I walk around the corner and I see the pine needles everywhere and I see the heater and I see my wife come around the corner and say, Welcome home, honey. (laughs) And I hear her version and I compare her version with the five-year-old theatric version and And in the middle, I see my eight-year-old daughter, Ryan, appear. And Brianne, my two-year-old, says, uh, verbatim, I'm sorry I ruined Christmas, Daddy. Because she was the one who was taking the ornaments and playing with them. Ryan was trying to fix the situation. Everything ended up in ruins. They stood there in the middle of their ruin. Maybe some of you are here this morning. And you feel like this very moment, you are standing in the middle of your ruin. You have an ideal picture of what it's supposed to look like. You have this imagery of what your life should be like and what Christmas should sound like. The sights, the smells, the sounds, all of it. But there's something that is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of Christmas. The reality of Christ with us. And that reality is, is your ruin. You're, you're standing in the middle of your ruin and you're trying to reconcile this brokenness that you're experiencing inside with finding the joy to celebrate the risen Savior. And you're not sure what to do with it. If you're here this morning and you can identify even the least bit with being in a circumstance or a situation or a time in life where there's some ruin in your life or around your life, you have chosen no better time to be at church than right now in this moment. I am glad you are here. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Country Bible Church. We started a series four weeks ago entitled This Christmas. This series is dedicated to helping us rethink, reimagine what Christmas is supposed to be. That we're just tired of going through the motions, doing the same old every year. That sometimes when you go through the mundane, monotonous, ordinary, you lose sight of the extraordinary and what it is that you began to celebrate to begin with. And so week one, we talked about a message that I entitled, Because Lights Matter. 
We talked about how we can lose sight of the purpose of Christmas lights and that Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. You are a lamp set aside, a city on a hill that you shine bright for everyone. And I challenged us to be that light for Christ, that every time we see those lights, we remember our purpose. The second week was a message entitled, Prepared to Give. And we looked at how each and every year we budget to give, we search for the perfect gift, we go on the hunt for the perfect gift, we, we, we look for all that, we, we, we put all this effort into finding the perfect gift, we prepare to give the perfect gift. And I asked the question, how much different would our relationship with Jesus Christ be if we prepared to give to God? And we looked at four different areas that we are called to give to God. And then last week, my dear friend Chris Harrison flew in from Houston, Texas, to be with us and gave an incredible message entitled, Christmas Has a Name, and that name is Jesus. If you are taking notes today, let me title my talk, Christmas is Ruined. And before you start declaring like heresy, let me invite you to hang on until the very end. If you want, I'd invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to spend all of our time today. If you are unfamiliar with where the book of Romans is, you can open your Bible to the very back and you can turn about an eighth of the way towards your left and you will run into a collection of letters. The book of Romans will be in there. I want to pray for us as we get ready to dive in together today. And my prayer is this, Lord, that you would wash over us that you would capture our imaginations and that you would move in our minds, that you would address our hearts. And for each one of us this morning who's sitting here and either we're in the middle of a situation that feels ruined, we're, we're trying to identify and, and understand what to do with our ruin or for those who know somebody in that situation, may today be the day of reckoning. May today be the day of redemption. May today be a day unlike any other where we can truly celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, the birth of the Son for each one of us that we could be reconciled and redeemed. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group that he's never met before. He's met many Gentile Christians, he's met many Jewish Christians, most of whom he's met that are coming from Rome are divided into two groups. And under the, the, the leadership at that time, the Jewish Christians are being forced out and so the, the Gentile Christians begin to, to rise and the church is beginning to grow in size, the church is beginning to grow in stature and Paul has a deep love for the church. He has a passion for them to understand the gospel, the reason that we exist the purpose behind it. And so he writes this letter, this letter that we call the book of Romans. And in this letter, he addresses some theology. He addresses some issues in the church, but he spends a majority of his time talking about sin and its effects in our life, Jesus Christ and the redemption that we have in him. And so this letter that we're going to read from today is a collection of a whole lot of thoughts, theologies, ideas that were God breathed. And I want to share with you as he writes this, that he's writing on the heels of having just shared the incredible effects of sin, how sin separates us. In fact, in Romans 3.23, he says that all of us, every one of us has sinned and that has separated us from God. In Romans 6.23, he says that the, the wages of sin is death, 
But then he goes on to talk about the gospel in short order, and he says the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we run smack dab into Romans 7, where we're going to talk about how we manage sin, how we deal with sin. And he says this in Romans 7, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 25. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or on the screens beside me. We're going to read and we're going to talk through this. Paul says, I have discovered... I have discovered, this is an important word, discovered, on the heels of what he's going to share. I have discovered this principle of life. Paul knows his culture and context. This is not a mistake that he says, I've discovered the principle of life. The greatest philosophical minds that our world has ever known have come right from Rome. Aristotle, Plato, uh, the, the Horus, there are countless philosophers that have traveled the world over to meet at the epicenter of philosophy where you can share ideas and you can dream about the possibilities of what this life is. So Paul is writing to a group that has been influenced by philosophy. And he speaks their language. He meets them where they're at. He doesn't compromise who he is or what God has called him to be, but he is very intentional about meeting them where they're at. And so when he says, I have learned this principle about life, he is perking their interest. He is, he is drawing their ears in because those who are non-Christians but are listening to this letter, those are people who are interested in philosophy. They want to know more about this life and why we're here. And so they study all kinds of ideas. To them, this may be just a another idea. You may be here this morning and this may have just been another idea that you're interested in or you're learning about. I am so glad you are here because Jesus Christ speaks right into that philosophical situation. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I don't want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. What he's talking about with the principle of life is he is talking about a law. The word in the original Greek language is nomo, and that word literally, it, it talks about the Mosaic law or the characteristics of God. And what he is saying is no different than that of what goes up must come down, the law of gravity. That is a law that we understand, that what goes up must come down. And he is speaking in the same fact. He is speaking in the same way, the same idea. He is saying inevitably what this law that he's discovered is what happens and the consequences is that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And then he says in verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart. That word with all my heart speaks about an inner desire, an inner passion, an inner joy that he delights himself in God's law. And when you think about the law, there's two different references here. One is the Mosaic law. It's the rules and the regulations, the do's and the don'ts. But the second piece of that law we come to understand is that the more you know the law, the more you understand the character of Christ, the, the character of God, who he is through his law. And so what Moses, or what, 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 Paul is referring to here by the Mosaic law is that he is understanding all the more the character of God and he's falling in love with God all the more as he learns the laws of God. And he's saying, I love God with all my heart. I genuinely and sincerely with every fiber of my being desire God. I love God. Then he says in verse 23, there's a conjunction that he offers, a juxtaposition of an extreme situation. But there's another power within me, he says, 
that is at war with my mind. And he won't just leave this here. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, you're going to hear Paul say things like that you and I may be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul recognizes the power of the mind, how we think that leads to our actions. And so he says, I recognize that there's another power within me that is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I want to talk about this for a moment because some people, when you read this, we have a propensity to take this out of context. When you read it at face value, it says, this power makes me a slave. This seems forced. This seems like we have no option. This makes it seem like we are going to let sin win. That the sin within us overtakes us and wins. But what we have to remember is he's talking about a mind and he's talking about a battle here. What this really refers to is that when we give ourselves over to sin, then that sin makes us a slave to itself. And he's going to explain that further here. He says, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And listen to the descriptor. Listen to the describing. Listen to the way that he marks himself. This almost seems like self-deprecation. Oh, what a miserable person I am. How many of us in our lives have felt miserable about our choices? We felt miserable about our relationships. And Christmas, Christmas, the happiest time of the year... While we're supposed to be celebrating and singing joyous songs and baking amazing high-calorie content cookies and unwrapping presents and, and, and eating way more food than we ought to only to fall asleep on the couch while watching really bad football. <laughs> we look forward to these times. There's something in us that if we're honest with ourselves... It robs us of the, the true meaning of Christmas. It robs us of the joy of Christmas. And what that, what that is, is that's ruin. We're standing in the middle of our ruin, and we don't know how to reconcile that. We want to jo- be joyous. We want to celebrate. We want to engage. But there's something in us that is just causing us to have distress in our lives, and that is our ruin. We don't know how to reconcile ruin with redemption. And that is why I'm so glad you're here this morning. Paul describes himself as a wretched man, a miserable man. Now, he's not self-deprecating. He's not attacking his own character. I think what Paul is talking about, if you read prior to this, when he's addressing sin is circumstantial or situational, is he's saying, because of the choices that I've made, I am wretched. I am broken. I'm a hot mess. You know, Christmas has a way of making us remember all that we've lost in life. As a kid, while I celebrate Christmas with my children, I'm taken back to a really, really distant, difficult time in my life as a child where I lived in absolute ruin, where the only Christmas that I knew was at the hands of fish and loaves and Goodwill and ambassadors in Christ and people who chose to come and bring me, a child, a byproduct of an addicted mother, single mother, who didn't have any means to provide a Christmas and was too busy with her drugs and alcohol and her own ruin to recognize where I was at. And so as a child, when I celebrate, I'm reminded of of the ruin that I've experienced before. And, And those were wretched times. And Paul says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Then he asked this rhetorical question. 
And maybe you're asking this question this morning, but it's not rhetorical for you. You really want to know the answer. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who has the ability, who has the power, who has the authority, who can step in to the middle of my ruin, meet me where I'm at, and save me from my brokenness? Maybe you're here and your marriage is in ruins. You're putting on a good game face because it's Christmas and the family's in town, but you feel like you're just stuck in ruin and you're asking this question, who can save my marriage? Maybe it's financial for you. It's the end of the year. You're looking at taxes for the next year. You're looking at all that's happened and you're asking yourself this question, who can save me from my ruin? Maybe it's physical. Maybe this year you've experienced some health crises. The news that the doctor gave you isn't good. And you're looking at this, you're looking at the results, and you're looking around, and you're standing yourself in the mirror, and you're saying, who can save me from this mess that I'm in? Who can save me from my ruin? You walk around the house like my five-year-old MJ, and you're just declaring in your own life, Christmas is ruined. Christmas is ruined because it's not the way you thought it would be. It doesn't look the way you thought it should look. It doesn't sound the way you think that it should sound because it's different. It feels ruined to you. And you're asking this question, who, who, who can save me from this ruin? And you're not alone, church. You are not alone. This is a 1,000, 2,000, 3,000-year-old problem. This letter was penned 2,000 years ago, roughly. And we're asking the same question today. But listen to the answer. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And the Apostle Paul replies with the greatest Christmas message anyone could ever receive. Thank God The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the middle of my ruin, thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to tell you a little bit more about this story with my daughter and my wife. As I came down the hall, and MJ saying, come look, Dad, Christmas is ruined. And I walk around the corner and I see the lights that I had worked so hard to put on. They were perfect. (laughs) Stacy and I disagree on how they should be hung, whether you start at the top or you start from the bottom. I like to start from the top. It's really how you're supposed to do it. (laughs) For the rest of you, take note. I looked at the tree that was leaning in the corner. As I walked up and there's this there's this brokenness, there's this mess. My kids are all home from school and they're all looking at this ruined situation. And I asked Stacy, I said, where did MJ get the idea that Christmas is ruined just because you ruined the best tree that we've ever had? Like I... <laughs> and so she told me, church, I want to tell you that the best part of this whole story And this is stuff you cannot, if you drive by my house, 407 East Baronage, on the left side of my garage, you will see our Christmas tree laying sideways. Still full, just naked of any pine needles. As we sat there, we said, well, what do you think we should do, guys? And we had this conversation, and we began to brainstorm. And I said, well, maybe we can still drive back out to Santa's farm and grab another Christmas tree. Maybe we can run to the store with all one million other people from Omaha and be at the same store at the same time. Because that just sounds like an awesome time. It took me 30 minutes to get a lemonade from Chick-fil-A the other day. 
We looked at the situation downstairs, downstairs in our lower level where most of the kids' bedrooms are, there's this four-foot little fake Christmas tree. Up until this year, I've never been a proponent of fake Christmas trees. I like the pitchy feel and the smell and the needles everywhere and the dog licking the water. Like, it's just part of the experience. It used to be for me anyway. No more. There's this little Christmas tree, and it's ugly. I mean, it's bad. It's just a little thin thing. Just, yeah, Charlie Brown-esque. So we brought it upstairs. We asked the kids, hey, do you think it'd be a good idea to take the kids' Christmas tree and bring it upstairs? And in the corner of the house, it is dwarfed by the rest of the room. It looks so out of place. It's awesome. We had made all this room for the tree, and now there's just a little stick. (laughs) But in those moments, while we brought this tree up, we had to talk to our kids about the true meaning of Christmas. We get to talk to them about the real reason for a tree and why we celebrate the things that we celebrate and how we celebrate, why it's important. You know, this series that we've been in for four weeks now has been all about a practical approach to Christmas and why we do the things we do, but it was lost on us in some ways. And so it was a practical opportunity for us to sit down with our children and explain to them what Christmas is truly all about, why we celebrate, and that in the middle of our ruin, in the middle of this damp carpet with broken shards of Christmas ornaments and a tree leaning against the the side of the house with needles everywhere and an empty base that once had water and and lights everywhere, as, as we began to pull this apart and get rid of the ruin and clean up the mess, we put this little Christmas tree there. Now, we haven't decorated the tree. It's just sitting there with a couple of lights hanging on the bottom with a big pile of lights next to it. I think we're going to fix it today. But it was an opportunity for us to explain to our children that guys, in the middle of our ruin, there was 400 years of silence where the world was living in their ruin and it wasn't lost on God. In a moment, God descended this heavenly staircase and entered in, into earth's living room and not just anywhere, but he enters into the middle of the ruin and he meets us where we're at and he does so in the form of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul said is, who can save me from this ruin? Who can save me from this brokenness? And he says, thank God Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because in one moment, the Savior was born by a virgin teenage girl who was engaged to an older guy that was just saving face. Lost, broken, ruined. You talk about a ruined situation. Try explaining that one to your, to your mom and dad. Hey, grandma and grandpa, I'm a virgin, but I'm going to have a baby in nine months. And not only a baby, but it's going to be the, the son of God. Not only the son of God, but it's going to be God in human form. By all accounts and most standards, that's a situation that seems pretty ruined. But you see, what I love about God There's a lot of things I love about God, but what I love about God is he doesn't ignore our ruin, 
and there's no ruin that's too much for him. Instead, he steps into the middle of our ruin to redeem us. So what if I asked you this question? What if this Christmas being ruined was the best place that you could be? What if, what if acknowledging your ruin was the best thing that you could do this Christmas? I want to share something with you. If you're new to our church, it's what we call the big so what. And we ask this question, what's it there for? What do I do with it? What now? And I want you to ask this question. What do I do with a Christmas message like this? I showed up today to hear about the angels and the shepherd and the star and some guy named Herod and a manger. I was hoping to see a live nativity scene. The pastor's a close second. Like, I don't, I don't know what you, what, what, what you showed up here expecting today, but I have to guess that this is not what you expected to encounter a message entitled Christmas is Ruined and to be asked the question, what if being ruined is the best place that you could be in this Christmas? So the big so what? is this. Here's what I want to share with you. Ruin is not a sign of death. Ruin is a prerequisite for life. If you're ruined, hang on because on the other side of ruin is life. If you're ruined, if you're standing in the middle of your ruin right now, you know what that means? If you're standing in the middle of your brokenness right now, it means that God has blessed you to still take in air into your lungs. Your story is not over. Your ruin is not the end. I want to argue that your ruin is just the beginning. And that if you will, like the Apostle Paul who says, what I do, I don't want to do. What I don't want to do, I do. I'm just a wretched man. Who can save me from my ruin? That if you would answer the question that Paul asks in the same way, thank God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Christmas for you could be changed forever. You will never look at Christmas the same again. You will reflect back on December 24, 2017 when you showed up to Country Bible Church and you heard a message that was very atypical and untraditional and, and yet when you accepted and admitted and acknowledged that you were ruined, God showed up and redeemed you. We looked at the situation. My daughters thought it was beyond repair. It was in disarray and we got to work together collectively, all of us, to take the dead tree out of the house. We got to work together to clean up the glass shards. We got to work together to vacuum up and, 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 and use our carpet cleaner to soak up the, 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 the dead water. We got to work together to bring up a, this other Christmas tree and to, and to talk through this ruin and how it can be restored. We got to work together. We didn't do it alone. And while I was completely annoyed in the moment, you have to know, I didn't come home excited. Like, yes, this is the best day ever. You destroyed our Christmas tree. I am so grateful, God. Thank you. I was annoyed. I praise God for the lessons that he taught me and we taught our children because we worked together to bring about restoration. But sometimes when you're in the middle of your ruin, it can feel like the loneliest place in the world. But two things I want to offer you today. When you accept Emmanuel, when you accept the understanding that God loved you so much, he cares for you so much that, that he descended 
heaven's staircase and stepped into your living room here on earth in the form of a babe born in a manger that would live over 30 years and die a sinner's death for us. But he wouldn't stay dead. He would be raised three days later, conquering death that we might have eternal life, power over death, power over our ruin. Then I believe that this Christmas... This Christmas has the power to change the trajectory of your life. This Christmas has the power to change the trajectory of your marriage. This Christmas has the power to change the trajectory of your finances. This Christmas has the trajectory to to, to change your employment situation. This Christmas has the potential to change your broken relationships, your bad decisions. When you will call out, who can save me from my ruin? Thank God, Jesus Christ can. This Christmas can be like, unlike any other Christmas you've ever celebrated before. The second thing that I want to point out as we wrap up together. In the same way that my daughter, Ryan, my eight-year-old daughter, and for all intents and purposes, she was doing a good thing. Like she was just trying to get the ornaments up away from Brianne. We didn't stand there and just watch her and say, you made the mess, clean it up. That's your ruin. You ruined it yourself. You clean it up. And in fact, you ruined it for everybody else. Clean it up. We didn't stand there and watch her try to drag this tree out of the house and clean up the broken glass and soak up the the water that was in the carpet and all that. We didn't watch her. We all lent a hand, pitched in and worked together so that we could experience the fullness of redeeming that situation. If you'll say yes to Jesus this morning, it's important that you know that you are not alone in your ruin. I can't guarantee that circumstantially your situation might change in a moment's notice. It may. The hand of God may wash over you and a miracle may happen. And I praise God for that if it does. But I want you to know that you're not alone. We're not going to stand there in the living room and watch you clean up your mess. Country Bible Church is committed to stepping into your ruin with you and walking with you as all the more you encounter Jesus Christ this Christmas. That's why we exist as a church. To be a community where people encounter Jesus and their life is changed forever. That's why we're able to celebrate Christmas. Because of Jesus Christ. So I don't know who you came with this morning or how you got here. I praise God you are here. And I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to share this brief but incredibly important message with you. That this Christmas... Maybe your ruin is where you need it to be because it's in your ruin that you can experience the fullness of God's redemption. I want to invite you to stand with me and I want to invite you to prayerfully consider what ruin you need to ask God to redeem in your life. This Christmas, if you hear nothing else, hear and know this. In Jesus Christ, there is hope. And you matter. We celebrate Christmas because of what Jesus means to us, what that's meant for thousands of years and what it's gonna mean to the rest of the world. But I pray this morning that it would start with you, that you would experience that reconciliation and that redemption that only comes through Jesus Christ in the midst of your ruin. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just so that you can take this in for a moment?
just so that you can hear this and take this in without distraction. This is how the Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save the people from their ruin. Maybe Christmas ruined is the best message you could have heard today because it will change your story of redemption for eternity. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray for your ruin. I want to pray for you in the middle of your circumstance, your situation. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this message. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that God loved you so much that he gave his son, Jesus, to meet you in the middle of your ruin, and you've never surrendered your life to him. You've gone through the motions, or you may have done religion, but you've never fully surrendered. You've never truly bowed your heart and bent your knee and said, Jesus, all that I am and all that I have, all this mess that I'm standing in, like the apostle Paul says, who can save me from this brokenness, from this ruin? Maybe you've never said, God, in the middle of my ruin, save me. I give my everything to you. I give my all to you. I give my ruin to you. Redeem me. If you've never said that before, let today be a moment of reconciliation where God reconciles you into himself and you experience the free gift of God's grace and his salvation. I want to challenge you, if I can pray with you this morning, if I can pray with you, if I can pray with you in the middle of your ruin to know the power of Jesus Christ, would you do me a favor? I want to pray for you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let me invite you to be courageous and just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Amen. I see that hand. Praise God. Amen. I see that hand. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Hands come up everywhere. Thank you, God. Would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for hearing your word. I recognize that I am in the middle of ruin and I'm broken and I've been asking the question, who can save me from my ruin? I've been searching the world over for answers and I'm tired of cheap imitations. This morning, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life and I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. You are God, you are sovereign, you are Lord and I make you Lord of my life. I invite you in to come and reconcile me unto yourself. Father, I pray that you meet me in my brokenness and take me into redemption. Amen. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning and for their ruin, for my brothers and sisters who feel like they're caught in a marriage that is just too far gone, that's too ruined. I pray this Christmas that your spirit would wash over them and you would restore a right relationship unto you first and then unto each other. And Father, I pray for my brother and sister who are here this morning and they're in the middle of a ruined relationship with a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or an auntie or an uncle or friends. 
And it just seems like the hope is gone. I pray that you would speak to their situation and that you would move them from ruin into reconciliation. Father, I pray for the person who might be here this morning that has recently received devastating news physically and they feel like their life is ruined. God, I pray that your miraculous healing hand would touch them, that they would know from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet the fullness of your restoration, that you would meet them in their ruin and that you would deliver them into redemption. God, we thank you for Christmas and I pray that this Christmas would be unlike any other we've ever experienced before. And I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Church, the greatest gift has taken place this morning. I mean, we're gonna get excited about the gifts you're gonna get tonight and tomorrow. But I wanna let you know and I had my team helping me count a little bit. I, I couldn't count anymore. There's at least a dozen hands of people that went up in this room to declare Jesus Christ as Lord of their life this morning. The Bible says that when one person declares the name of Jesus in their life and surrenders their life, that there is a party in heaven, that there is a celebration, and there is reason to celebrate. We want to celebrate with you. If you are one of those who made a decision this morning to give your life to Jesus, we have staff that would love to hear from you and our leaders that would love to hear from you so that we can hug you and pray with you and celebrate with you. Uh, we'll be outside these double doors just straight in front of me. Behind you is our connections area. We would love to hear your story of the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received. And for the rest of you, I want to say Merry Christmas and that as you experience the reconciliation and the redemption that comes from knowing Jesus, this will be the greatest Christmas you've ever known. God bless you and Merry Christmas.